All right, there's an outline. If you haven't received the outline, Edward's going to pass it out. Thank you, Edward. Um, We are in the book of Joshua, chapter 13. We'll look look at the whole chapter. And we'll begin in a minute here with a word of... The word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your blessing upon us today and for, um, in these changing seasons, the reminder of, of change, the goodness of change in our life, how we are structured by that, what you gave us um, in the ever-changing seasons and the growth and the newness um, that you bring to us um, every day and every part of this change. But even though our seasons change, even though uh, we change, our weather changes, you are never changing. Your mercies and your, and your goodness are ever-present. And your character, your justice is always there, and you are always a holy, righteous God. And we do thank you for that, and thank you for your constant, um, unchangeable character that strives and that has striven to demonstrate to us your greatness and your holiness and your love and your mercy and your justice. And a love for your people that is unqualified and that is unknown except from you. And as we look at the text today, I pray that you show us all the more that deep love you have for us, even in the midst of a of the need that we have to live in that love, an expression of that love and obedience to you. So as we look at this text in Joshua, looking at the life of Israel and Joshua and what you called them to do in the midst of the conquest of the land, let us see our task even today in the midst of our own conquests or need to conquer and to live and to be a people glorious and holy unto you. Give us ears that hear and a mind that comprehends but more importantly, give us a heart, a desire that, that wants to live to glorify you. May you and you alone be magnified. Cause my words to speak clearly of your truth, and any that is contrary to that, let it be muted and unheard. I pray that you will be magnified, you will be glorified as you draw us all the more into a deeper love in thought and in word, and in action towards you. I pray this, Lord, for your glory, for your honor. Amen. Joshua 13. As we saw last week, we wrapped up the conquest of the promised land. And chapter 12 was kind of the finishing off of it. Um, And finishing it off with that northern campaign. And um, what assurance did Joshua receive as he faced that very large army and coalition of armies um, that was up north? Okay. The Lord would deliver them slain into his hand. However, it wasn't a deliverance like he saw previously in the south. What 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 kind of deliverance was it, or, or how was it affected? 
in the South, it was very clear. It was mainly God that fought the battle, right? Yeah. Though it would be a battle the Lord would win for them, they had the task of actually doing it. Unlike the, the Southern Campaign, it was very clear that the Lord killed more. The Lord himself killed more through the rocks or stones that fell. But in this one, they had to actually pick up the sword and to fight the enemy. The Lord still gave them the land. And what is noted about Joshua in that victory that he has over the, that coalition of kings. What is noted about Joshua as the victor? He was obedient, exactly. He was obedient in all that he did. Joshua did all the Lord commanded, whether it was a command through directly to him or through Moses, the servant of the Lord. And not just victory over the enemies, but also a victory in, in the giving of the land as he gave it the land according to the Lord. And this victory and the giving of the land came from a heart of obedience from, from Joshua. And what was the ultimate result in the land as, as he did this? Okay, what's this actually say? It's the idea of peace. The concept of peace. Okay, they occupied, and the land had what? Yeah, the land was. The land had rest. Rest. Rest from war, says in the very end of chapter 11. That idea that there was a sense of rest on the people. Today, uh, and, and that concluded the first portion of the book, you see in the, on the outline, uh, we've moved beyond that center Peace, where it was the conquest of the land through covenant obedience, affected by Joshua, constantly pointing to Joshua. But now we enter into this next section where it's all about the dividing of the land. It, that is a continuation of a conquest, of an occupying, as we'll see, not at the hand of Joshua, because it also shifts from Joshua to the tribes and will ultimately move back to the whole nation. So the, the narrative moves from that second um, part of the book into this next piece of the book or next section of the book, uh, shifting from Joshua to the tribes, from the individual um, task to the ultimately to the unified task that everybody in the nation had to do, every tribe and the whole nation had to do rather than just Joshua alone. Joshua brought the rest as God commanded. Everywhere his foots fell, his feet fell, God gave him the land. But there was a reality that the tribes had to act even in, in that truth of that rest. They must move out to actually possess the land that God had given them through Joshua. The Lord gave the land to Israel. Okay, I can't say this again. The Lord gave the land to Israel, and through Joshua gave them rest. But now, they have to move. They must take that responsibility to possess that land and to do all that the Lord had commanded them to include driving out the remaining Canaanites and live in it. 
And that's when we move to, and this begins that whole process with this very clear call that we'll see in chapter 13. Chapter 13, which calls Israel and Joshua to complete that task. Today we have also a victory and rest through our Redeemer, don't we? We've talked about that last week. We need to understand there is rest today to those who know Christ and who are in Christ, a very real rest. And it's in that rest that Christ gave us that we hope, that we live. That is our hope of eternal security. However, today's narrative reminds us that though we have rest, there is still a very great battle before us that we must every day wage. And it's our task to rise up on a daily basis to, to, wage, that, to rate, uh, wage that war. Like Israel, who had to possess the land, we have to possess, even in the midst of that rest we have been given. Though free from sin slavery, we must continually fight against the sin that wages against us and our own flesh that desires that sin because of our life in the past. And that will be the case until the end. We need to grasp that reality. Never grow tired, never grow faint, or just grow lazy as God's people. Let's begin to see this in, in this chapter. We're going to read through the chapter. I'm going to cut, um, break it up in, in four pieces just to make it easy. Um, short readings. Uh, the first one will be 1 through 7. I'm sorry, 1 through 6. It will be 7 um, through 14, 15 through 23, and then 24 to the end. So first one, 1 through 6, we'll read that. Verses 1 through 6, we'll read it. Okay, Brian, we'll read 7 through 14. Okay, Ben, um, who'll read 15 through 23. Liz, and then the last piece, 24 through 33. We'll read that. Someone, 24 through 33, before I call on someone. Okay, Peggy, thank you. Brian, go ahead. Joshua 13. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites, from the Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ikron. It is called, it is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites and the Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth Maim, even all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the, the Gadites, 
received their inheritance, which Moses gave them, beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. From Oror, Oror uh, which is the edge of the valley of Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Medeba as, as far as Divan. And all the cities of Sihon, king of Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites, the Gilead, and the region of the Geshurites, and the Mechathites, and all Mount Hermon, and then all of Bashan, Salech, and the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and, and in Edrei, he alone was left of the remnant of the, of the Rephaim. These Moses had struck and driven out, yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the, the Magathites, or the Jeshur, or Makath, dwell in the, mid, in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, God of Israel, are their inheritance, as he said to him. And Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the people of Reuben, according to their clans. So their territory was from Aror, <laughs> which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland by Medeba with Heshbon, and all the cities that are in the tableland, Devon and Bamoth Baal and Beth Baal Maon and Jehaz and Kedemoth and Mephath and Kiriathim and Sibma and Zareth Shehar on the hill of the valley and Beth Peor and the slopes of Pisgah and Beth Jeshemoth that is all the cities of the tableland and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses defeated with the leaders of Midian, Evi and Rechem and Sur and Hur and Reba, the prince, princes of Sihon, who lived in the land, Balaam also and the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with a sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their, of the, their slain. And the border of the people of Reuben was the Jordan as the, a boundary. This was the inheritance of the people of Reuben, according to their clans with their cities and villages. Moses gave an inheritance also to the tribe of Gad, to the people of Gad, according to their clans. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the Ammonites to Aror, which is the which is east of Rabbah. And from Heshbon to Ramoth Mizpah and Betanim, and from Mahanim to the territory of Debir, and in the valley of Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukoth, and Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Zion, king of Heshbon, having the Jordan as a boundary, to the lower end of the Sea of Chinnereth, eastward beyond the Jordan. This is the inheritance of the people of Gad according to their clans with their cities and villages. And Moses gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was allotted to the half-tribe of the people of Manasseh according to their clans. 
Their region extended from Mahanim through all Bashan, the whole kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, and half Gilead, and Ashtaroth, and Edri, the cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. These were allotted to the people of Machir, the son of Manasseh, for the half of the people of Machir, according to their clans. These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> it becomes very clear um, as we continue to look at this in this in this chapter that the task we face is great. Um, as Israel faced, and they had to see, and it's from what we see in them that we begin to realize that though, though um, we have eternal rest in Christ, uh, as they had rest because of Joshua, that, and as their work was not yet done, our work of living sanctified is not yet complete. And this becomes very clear as they begin to learn that they have much to, to possess still, and that Joshua had that task of making sure they um, gained their inheritance and began that possession or possessing. So the first portion of this is that reminder to them of what they had left to do. And it starts off with that very strange statement from um, a declaration and then the Lord making it clear. What to say about Joshua? He's old. Old and advanced in years, it says. Is is. Um, I mean, no one likes to be told that or make that very clear, but or at least it seems like they don't. But um, but it's very clear in this text. Now, is it just talking about his age? Is it just trying to say this is an old man? Get busy. Joshua, you're old. You're advanced in ages. It has, has, appears to have zero to do with actual age. We don't know exactly how old Joshua was at this point in time. If we compare him to Caleb, he would have been somewhere probably around 85 years old. We know he lived quite, quite a few years longer. If you compare him to the end of the book, he's the exact same phrase, to date him many years later, like when he's about to die. So it's not necessarily a reference or a concern about his age, but as Nils pointed out, Joshua... You're old, you're advancing years, there is still a task to be done. Do not let it go undone. And what is that task that must be done, Joshua? What is the reality? Say again. Possess the land. There is very much of the land that remains to be possessed, the Lord says. And what's interesting is this begins a very real tension in the book of Joshua. And what's that tension? Did you pick up on it? Okay. That's not quite the tension I'm thinking of. There's another tension in the book, even before that tension of not completing the task. That's not a tension. That's a sin. What's that tension in the book? That really becomes clear with this with this statement that there is much to be possessed. Yeah. 
Okay, you don't you know how much time you got left? Possibly. You have to face these people. Say again. Say again. You had, had to divide the land up. What was made very clear when Joshua conquered the northern kings last week? What? Okay. Oh, that's one thing. What's, what, what's the summary? Um, we, already, we, we already talked about it. They got rest. Rest? Wait, wait a minute. The Lord made very clear the land was given rest. There was rest from war in the land. And yet, immediately from that point, what do we hear? There is, yeah, there's still land to be possessed. And to be possessed means you have to do what? More war. That constant tension in the book between uh, complete, done, already, and yet, not yet. There is that reality that is done. The land has been given rest in that big picture. But Israel, you must possess the land. And that word he uses, there remain, there, uh, um, and very much of the land remains to be possessed, that word that's used, that particular word that's used, carries that idea of, of both subdue or to conquer and to occupy. There's really two distinct ideas in this, and yet I think in this text both ideas emerge. There is a necessity to conquer the land. Joshua conquered the land, and Israel did, but Joshua as the head. It was their land, but they still had to possess it. You know, in, in, in military um, axioms they say, you know, the Air Force cannot win the battle, why not? It cannot do what? It can't occupy a piece of property. You don't really win until you occupy that property. You got to put someone on, on, you know, boots on the ground, as they say. This is the reality that though you may have conquered, boots got to be on the ground. You got to start living in the land. People got to possess it. And that means more than just living in the land, to live in the land means doing what? Throwing out those who still remain. Because don't forget, even in the South, they weren't completely exterminated. They ran to their cities and buttoned up. They still had to be dealt with. And the Lord makes that very clear, and that tension is very clear here. It's a tension, the reality is, the tension that Israel had to live every single day of its life from this point forward. That constant reality that they had to daily possess their land, taking it back. And some of, of the tensions that Brian pointed out constantly exist for them, that they're not quite doing it fully. And that becomes, a, a, as the Lord put it, a thorn in their side. The reality is today even we live in that constant tension of already and not yet. We already have rest, don't we? Is there anything else we must do to guarantee our right standing with the Lord if you know Christ? The, 
in the aspect of is there anything else we can do to make our standing before God right? There is nothing, as it was pointed out. In that aspect, it's all been done. That's why the Lord can say, with honesty, as he always does, what can separate you from the love of God? Not even yourself can. No man, nothing. And yet there's the reality that was also brought out that we must daily, daily continue that battle. The Lord chose out of his goodness to not just yank us out immediately when he said, you're right standing with me. He chose for his glory and for our goodness to say, now you must fight that battle even more. I must learn more of my glory and my goodness every day. Israel had to learn, and the Lord had to test Israel, whom do you love? And why do you love that one? In the case of Israel, they had to understand daily, he was the one they can rest on. And there was reason for him to be their king and them to love their king. We need to see today our own self. We need to see and ask the Lord to show us what remains to be possessed. What do we still have to be possessed? Did the Lord leave in question to Israel what they had to be possessed, what had to be possessed still? Not at all. The whole long list, starting with verse 2. Give me next slide. Um, go back to that first slide you had. He, he makes very clear to them what is still to be possessed. Uh, the first map, sorry. He says, all this land that remains to be possessed, all this bottom part from, from the, the, the bro- what's known as the Brook of Egypt, there's a brook that spanned the eastern edge of Egypt. And you can't barely see it up there in the map because I can barely see it even my computer. Um, so I'm not going to worry about it. But from that, that point in the middle of the desert that ran all the way up north along that coast, and he's very specific, what region? The region of the Philistines. Why are they pointed out specifically? Just a little bit of history. The, the Philistines are not from Canaan. They come from what, what they believe was what we know as um, um, Greece, from Kaftor. And they traveled there, as people do in their, on their ships, and they landed there and said, this is a great land to live. We're going to live here and possess it. So they're not from Canaan. Are they to be possessed? Is that land that they're now on as non-Canaanites to be occupied by Israel? Why is that? What's it say? And this is, I think, the point of, of why the Lord mentions them specifically. In verse 3, it is counted as Canaanite. Even though these foreigners that have come in like you, Israel, that land is counted as Canaanite. It is to be possessed. The other point of this is a constant reminder in the thorn in Israel's flesh for who continually was a thorn in, the his- in Israel's flesh throughout its history in years to come. 
Philistines, who was the principal enemy to all the kings, or at least the early kings of Israel, both Saul and David, the Philistines. And this failure that we're going to see has dramatic long-term effects upon them in life to come. All that south land, so we see it's all that northern land along the coast of the Mediterranean, from where that word Canaan is all the way to the coast. Go up to the next slide, Ray, which is another map. Then, and then it continues up the coast along from uh, to Tyre, to Sidon, all the Lebanon, which runs out to the uh, east towards Bashan. He's saying all this land is still yet to be conquered, still to be possessed. Oh, Israel, you have a lot to possess. And he shows them bit by bit in a brief summary, shows Joshua, shows Israel what you had to do. Yes. Yes. It's, it's about the land, what the Lord's going to give them. And they're there. And because of that, they have to be dis- dispossessed, Israel. All this land. And yet, even though they have a task to do, even though they must seek and see what the Lord has for them that remains, what are they, what are they to understand in that conquering? Even though they have to go out and do it, okay. They, there's that understanding that there, there's a rest. That's true, but what do they have to understand about this conquering? The Lord says, "Thank you very much." The Lord says, "I will drive them out from before the sons of Israel, like previously." Even though, Israel, I'm tasking you with the, the, the responsibility of possession of the land, this is not of your own strength, your own might, your own power. Now, there's two sides of that, that statement. One is, don't become arrogant and think you're the one doing it. That's important. You understand this task is not one I can do in my own strength. But the flip side is, when I know I am weak and face a large army, I know there's one who's fighting for me who is much greater than my large army I face. And that becomes very important for Israel. And their history will see that the reality that they have to understand is not by their strength, because they're so great, nor should they, should, should they tremble, because the enemy is great. For their God, their King, the Lord God Almighty, is greater. No different than us, how we must understand, though we have a task yet to fulfill in conquering day by day, our own lusts and our own flesh, it is not a task we can do alone, nor do we have to do alone. The task we do by the grace of God, the task we do is we daily walk in the Spirit. The Lord is so gracious to us in giving us his grace. And I'm not talking about that favor that calls us 
uh, uh, that one time calling into his full that, that is God's favor that says, despite your sinfulness, I will redeem you through Christ. But that, I'm talking about that grace that we read about in Hebrews as we approach the, the throne room. and says, come boldly to receive that grace in the time of help, in time of need, that help from the Lord, that when we have great need because we are not able, we are not able to, to do this or, or engage in this battle because our own flesh is strong. Oh, by God's grace, we can. And that's the beauty of that task he gives us to conquer. It's never by our own strength. And it also reminds us that if we begin thinking it's by our strength, we need to be careful. Because it's then that we are the weakest. It's then Paul was reminded, it's not by my strength alone, but in my own weakness, I meet this grace. God's grace is sufficient in everything. How good it is to be placed in those struggles and those trials, all the more to learn of my desperate need for that grace of God. And he's he's getting this picture by this simple statement. You're old, Joshua. Finish your task. Because there's a task to be done. It's not complete. Yes, there's rest. But possess the land too. Not just what you have done, Joshua, but each tribe must accomplish the task. And that begins to be made clear the necessity for Israel as tribes to do their task, as he begins to lay out in verse 8, the, the, or verse 7, the apportioning of the land, or the dividing of the land, the allotment actually is the right word. He says in verse 7, Now therefore apportion or allot this land for inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Israel needed to possess its allotted inheritance. And that opening Word now is a very it's a unique word in the sense of it occurs in the in the legal judicial um, um, sense or or atmosphere in which you know a father now is giving his son his inheritance it's a a gift from the father to the son and he must now occupy so does our father so does Israel's father their his or their king give to them this land through Joshua, and now they must take it. It's that constant reminder that, oh, Israel, this is my land that I'm gifting to you to occupy. It's that constant reminder. You are stewards of my land, oh, Israel, but you must steward it. You must do what a steward does and care for it and tend it and be fruitful on it. And all that I have tasked you to do. And to whom is Joshua to apportion this land? Okay. To the nine and a half tribes. Not to the twelve tribes. Why is that? Yeah, the other what 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 happens now is in verse starting with verse eight all the way to the to the end 
and the Lord makes it very clear it's only nine and a half tribes. So does that mean the Lord's work was incomplete? That he couldn't give the land to all 12 tribes? No, we're reminded by a very long um, um, history that two and a half tribes already received their inheritance. And the Lord does this. Uh, um, I mean, why does the Lord make this clear? Why does he begin with the rehashing of what has already happened? This was made clear both in Deuteronomy, it was made clear earlier um, in this book of Joshua. Why start here with what has already been given, as verse 12 points out? Well, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So on, on one hand, there's, there's a variety of reasons or possible reasons. One is it definitely does that, as Brian pointed out. It demonstrates the unity in the allotment. It wasn't all allotted by Joshua, but it was all allotted by whom? By the Lord, through the means of Moses, as we are about to read or have read, and Joshua, as will happen. And Moses already gave two, two and a half tribes their allotment, just as nine and a half tribes will receive theirs. What other possible reason is there? What's it demonstrate about the two and a half tribes' inheritance? That's east of the river. Was their inheritance legitimate? Was it outside of promise? Or is it part of God's promise to them? Israel. Part of it. There is strong uh, People have made argument that, well, these two now tribes never really entered into the full rest because they never crossed the Jordan. But what people who say that are failing to recognize who gave these two now tribes that land? It was God. Yes. This land east of the river of Jordan was actually part of the land deeded or stated that would be Israel's from the very beginning. And, and they needed, Israel needed to see it. I mean, all of Israel needed to see it. The nine, nine and a half tribes east or west of the river needed to see it. And the two and a half east of the river needed to see the reality that we are all one Israel. Also made evidence when, when the two and a half tribes were told were told as part of that agreement and accepted their necessity to send their army, their soldiers, to fight with the nation, so that they could possess their land, also. So that that picture of unity, the picture that validates these other tribes on the far side, um, and gives legitimacy to their possessing. This piece right here counterbalances the very long um, piece that we're going to start reading next week that begins in chapter 14 of Israel's, the other nine and a half tribes possessing. It also helps us understand that this is a brand new piece of, or new section in the book. Here now begins the possessing, and what that quite means, in contrast to the possessing that has already happened. 
and possessing that has already happened, and we get that very long description of what it is. Um, that Israel had to accomplish this task. Let's see, Ray, if you'll go to the next slide. And one more. Yeah, that one here. So this shows us, as it's hard to see it, I'm trying to talk through it, but this shows us what the Lord, or what is spoken of, um, and, and the, the boundaries that is given of what they possessed. These two and a half tribes in the east. They had already conquered everything east of the Jordan River, which is right down the middle of the land. From the, Red, from the Dead Sea, the, the Sea of Body, it's, on, it's in the center of the map, all the way up to that very small one up top, and that river that ran down. Everything east of that, or to your right, my, my right to you, I think about it, um, is the land that they possessed. All the way, that, you know, where it says from Moab, or the Moabites, Ammonites, Geshur, Bashan, all that was their land, or majority of it. And the southern por- portion, which would be where the word Moab is, and that right where that word, um, the Ammonites begins, that's like the, that piece right in that area, would be where the... Um, the, um, let me make sure I'm not off track here. The Reubenites had. They had the first, the southern portion. And above them, from the top of the word Ammon, the Ammonites, up to around Gesher, that word Gesher, r- relatively speaking, was about where the Gadites had their, their properties. That was their land. Everything from the Jordan off to the west, as far as they can go to the west which was, by the way, a very expansive desert, if they can get that far. Very hot desert, too. And the half-tribe and everything that was north of that. In fact, they're known for conquering um, Bashan, the, 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 the further one, had this particular area, Jair, and its 60 cities. And that is referenced numerous times throughout the history of Israel. That is very unique in the sense of they conquered these 60 cities, which were a very large and difficult place to conquer, but they did it. That's why Moses gave it to them. They saw it and they went, no, this is ours. We'll take it. They're one of the few tribes that appears to actually rise up and conquer somewhat um, victoriously. And so the Lord depicts this, making very clear what is their inheritance. This has already been given, Israel. If it's already been given to them, Israel, who has to get um, possession of inheritance, what's that mean for you? If it's already been given to two and a half, the process is already beginning or has begun, but now you must possess, what does that picture lay out for you? Just as they have already gained their inheritance, you too will already also gain your inheritance. I am no different with and how I treated the two and a half tribes, I will be no different in how I treat the remaining tribes. You must go out. However, there's a, an unfortunate failure we begin to see. Right? Did you pick up on that in verse 13? What is that failure? They didn't do it completely. The sons of Israel did not dispossess the Geshurites or the Makathites, for Gesher and Maketh 
live among Israel until this day. This is important. And as Neil's pointing this out to me after the, afterwards, this is an important point. Israel never fully, fully possessed the land. It never fully removed the enemy. And here's that beginning picture. And note, I'll just tell you now, as you listen to stories, as we talk about them in the future, note how that increases every tribe. Less and less and less are obeying and possessing the land and removing the Canaanites. And the impact upon Israel is great. It shows us all the more the necessity to be faithful in fully possessing the land, not allowing it to be occupied by that which will cause us um, to stumble. Yes. Yes. It, it was. This is different than than the Gibeonites, as, as we talked about. Um, because of that covenant that Israel entered into, even though by deception they were bound not to. But the other nations wasn't that case. They just didn't do it. And we'll see part of the reasons why as we talk about these nine and a half tribes. But it only shows their sinfulness and not possessing the entire land. Also, these two tribes weren't the only ones who gained the possession, were they? There's one more tribe that's mentioned. You pick up on that? Say again? The Levites. The Levites didn't get a portion in the east, did they? Why not? Yeah, God is their portion. The sacrifices, the offerings that would come in, and more importantly, the Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance. And lest people think, well, that's it's going to rip off. They get no land. The reality is, as the psalmists make clear, what was the greatest inheritance they could have ever had? The blessing the Levites had that no other Israelite had. They did. That's different. That's not their inheritance. The cities are not their inheritance. They can lose their cities or sell them and lose them. The inheritance, the blessing, is the presence of the Lord where the Levites had the right to access. They can enter in with the priests and serve the Lord with the priests that Israel could not do in general. I could, I could not, if I was a Simeonite, could not enter in and, and serve like a Levite did. I would be killed. Oh, but for Israel to understand what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord. What's David say? I'd rather spend, you know, one day on the threshold than a thousand in a great glorious tent. And yes, we think of a tent, but their tents were pretty nice those days. I would rather just be on the threshold, even in the rain if it had to be, to be at the presence of my God and away from him. Oh, how we need to see the glory of that inheritance. That's the inheritance we ought to look to. We ought to speak of and we are living for. That's the rest we have in Christ. Though the land was at rest for Israel, they had to possess it. Though we have great rest in Christ, if we are a child of God, you have rest in him. 
But there's much to possess, right? Every day. Let us rise up each day. Let's rise up even right now, keeping our minds focused on what has to be possessed, what the Lord shows you needs to be possessed as you struggle in your own flesh. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your mercies to us and and that constant picture you give us of that victory we have in you, Lord Jesus. And yet the task to live in that victory each day as we deal with our own sins, our own desires that don't want to conform, and the world around us that is not conformed. Give us a heart to possess, a desire for you and you alone in our living so that you through us may be glorified and you alone, Lord. We give you praise and we give you glory. Amen.